Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. I'm half of your host, Nicholas Larimer, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts, Mr. Gabriel Krauser. And we are back with what uh, we aim to be a short episode, but you never know with us, because these things are, shall we say, not very well scripted. It's sort of just what comes in the moment. Uh, as the as the poet said, the script is written in water, is writ in water. <laughs> yes, yes, as the poet said. <laughs> uh, right, so Gabriel, you phoned me, uh, I think it was the middle of the night the other day, I can't remember, and you were very stressed about something you said, you were very worried about something you are calling thought inflation. So we've got a lot of mm. economic inflation going on right now. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, not great. Inflation's not fun. But what in the name of all that is holy is thought inflation? We, we very much decided that we were not going to have that conversation, that you were going to save it for the show. So here's the show. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. What is thought inflation? So it's something I've been warned about, and boy, oh, boy, I've been feeling it. The idea with inflation is that it costs more to get the same thing. Right. The idea with thought inflation is that it costs more to think the same thought. And part of what's important about this idea is realizing in the first place, even before this thought inflation, there is a cost to thinking. I felt that very seriously over the holidays. I think I even felt it a little bit towards the end of last year when we did our last two crickets where we, I don't know, sort of ended up getting quite deep into the history and philosophy of slavery and whether it was appropriate to describe the command council regime as imposing a kind of slavishness. I thought it was very interesting, but it became quite hard to think through. I think there really are difficult things to think through. Uh, situations where I definitely feel like I don't know the answers and I'm trying and 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 that's definitely when I can feel that thinking is not for free. It's not just a matter of like an egg falling and, and exploding. It takes some effort. And my sense is that it takes more effort to think to think the same thing. It's not getting easier. It's, it's right. actually if, if if thinking was easy, everyone would be a genius. <laughs> right. So it started out difficult, but it's getting more difficult. It's, uh, and, and okay, so why is that? Partly I was feeling that because I was feeling that very acutely over the holidays because it's a time to relax. It's a time to unwind and there's less thinking. There's more experiencing. There's more of a sort of cerebral shutdown and a replacement by phenomena. The smell of the sea breeze blowing up past the hibiscus and fanbos, the coral sort of seashells scintillating uh, off the the, the 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 midday sun. It's wonderful, very nice, very nice. You can you can sort of just gaze and your eyes glaze over, and it's it's so relaxing. And then you have to think, well, where are we going to go for lunch? What are we going to what are we going to eat? You know, and suddenly those kinds of thoughts become quite difficult. 
I think everyone knows that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it, 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 when you're in deep in holiday mode, deciding what to do for lunch is a surprisingly difficult question. It's a mission. Okay, so so there's that sense in which you get you get like temporary thought inflation. And part of the problems with inflation is that whenever there's a serious inflation in terms of money, uh, people first start by saying, you know what? This is not really an inflation. This is just a temporary price adjustment. This is going to go away. So it's like, no, you're just temporarily on holiday and it's become very difficult to think. But when you come back, yeah, it's going to be easy again. It's going to be great. Don't you worry about it. The Biden, the Biden administration tried this a bit uh, with the um, and the Fed as well in the US. Uh, yeah. This current round of inflation. They said, oh, guys, 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 no, not to worry, not to worry. It's all transitory inflation. And it's like, Dude, in a they, certain sense, they, inflation never lasts forever. But yes. <laughs> and they had a bit of a point because the low base effect, I've got to say, the, the sort of inflation hawks, the people who were super watching out for it, um, jumped on the fact that you had sort of highest in 50 years inflation numbers without looking at the base effect. So, of course, with depressed supply and demand through the hardest parts of lockdown in America and across this civilized world, you 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 had a, a an inflation flatline, a, C, a consumer price inflation flatline. And then after that, just catching up to where you would normally be uh, looks extreme. So both sides, I think, in the beginning were silly. The Biden side was pretending that it was merely transitory, and the other side was pretending that it was already clearly the worst thing ever. It's subsequently, uh, you know, more embarrassing, I think, to the Biden side because it hasn't really slowed down. But the first thing you say is that it's transitory. The second thing that, thing that you say is that there's a supply chain issue, that there's just some sort of bubble in the pipeline, and then as soon as that clears, it's all going to come right. That's the usual inflation story. How does that apply to the thought inflation? I don't know. I'm seeing a lot of sort of esteemy evidence, which is which is the kind that's hardest to properly quantify. Uh, that 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 South Africans are unusually optimistic. That there's a back to business attitude. That there's a thorough disillusionment with the powers that be, and therefore a sense that maybe we can figure out a bit of change. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like there's a sense that no, we're gonna we're gonna figure it out quickly. There's just like one, there's a little magic bullet, and then it's gonna be fine. Okay. And and then with that, and the flip side of that impression is a a, a sort of surprising level of of surprise at, for example, the councils falling apart, uh, where power is shifted in the 2021 right. municipal election. So it's just, it's like, you don't have to think very hard <laughs> to realize what's going on in the councils, but apparently you have to think slightly harder than some sort of analysts and pundits are willing to go already. Okay. The third issue with usual inflation is, is they'd blame it on greed, right? They say, no, these guys, the meat packers are hiking their prices or the, you know, some, some particular group or other group is hiking their prices to steal profits. Um, to take advantage as if there's no as if they have no competition as if it's all one business as it's like meat monopoly capital or you know computer monopoly capital. right <laughs> there's some sort of big cabal out there uh, in the uh the middle ages uh inflation didn't exist for a couple of centuries almost and then all of a sudden um they had a big spike of inflation i think in the 1400s mm. and 
the nobility and everyone who is involved in, in, in the economy sort of said, what, this is outrageous. How can prices be going up? Prices can't go up. And there was an enormous amount of social disorder because of this. Because they, they didn't even understand. Really we need an inquisition. Was, right? <laughs> well, they thought it was they thought it was the same thing that the Biden administration says now. Well, they're just trying to profiteer off of us. Yeah. Whoever's selling. So the thought, the thought, the thought price inflation way to blame it on greed. And this dude, think about this. Nicholas, I know I sound like I'm being a silly billy, but but tell me if this resonates. The greed equivalent to thought price inflation is people saying, you know, the media is full of people that have become careerist, that have become greedy. They just, they don't want to, they're just chasing likes. They're just chasing clicks. They're not trying to tell you the truth anymore. Back in the day, let me tell you, the media was like just full of rock solid, <laughs> honest human beings. And now they just want to lie to you to get money and, and be powerful. So there's a little bit of that for sure. <laughs> I hear for a sure. lot of people talking this nonsense. Like once upon a time, the media was populated by angels sort of masquerading as 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 sort of slightly smelly uh, tobacco-pluming journalists. <laughs> They've been replaced by sort of smoothie-drinking, uh, well-manicured, woke uh, uh, propagandist, no, whatever. Dude, I, it's, I do, it's always been human they, beings. There's always been fallen angels doing this. It's always been. Yeah, rich. look, I do think I do think that that that's not completely junk. I do think there is there has been a shift in in standards to some degree. But yeah, you've definitely got a point there. There There's was been never a healthy inflation. stage. Yeah, there has there definitely never been thought inflation. Stage. No, uh, this is completely the thing. There has been thought inflation. When I read, it costs me more units, more calories, dude. I've, I'm I'm like gymming when I read the newspaper, just to just to not lose my mind. Right, to, it's, to sort it's of not easy. Yeah, through the mess. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. It's a mess. I don't think it's because we've become more greedy. I don't think it's because there's a supply chain issue. I do look. I do think on the supply chain disruption. I do think the internet was a major supply chain disruption, and that that does play a serious effect. But this is not the basic cause of inflation of thought price. Uh, noise increased grease. What is so? Let's take it to the final step. So, what is the 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 what's the Nobel winning answer to what causes inflation? Well, the thing that causes inflation is when people invent more money, but they don't produce more goods and services. That's it. It's very simple. And then guess guess how it manifests? Well, it manifests in perverse incentives, which means the people that end up getting ahead are the more greedy ones, and so it looks like greed is the creation. It means that supply chains, there's an inefficient allocation of assets, which means you will see supply chain disruptions, which means you can always blame it on that. And it's always going to start somewhere, and so you think it might be temporary when it starts. Uh, you know, this is, look, basically what happens <laughs> is that people invent without producing. Uh they invent money. Okay, so so what's the equivalent of that in 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 thought price inflation? I don't really know because this thought thinking rationally, this is exactly where the difference between production and and just talking, that's where the that difference disappears, right? We are unfortunately or for, we're in the industry where Dude, damn it. I mean, sometimes 
I feel really bitter that I'm not a carpenter or a plumber or <laughs> like a, a, a cobbler. Like I just want to fix something that I can see with my eyes because sometimes words and thinking, it's just all right. so I, when, unconcrete. When, when, it's so ephemeral. When people, when people ask me what my girlfriend does for a living, I always say, I always explain what it is. And then I say, you know, something actually useful, unlike what yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not just, I mean, you know, I did. Oh, I love, I just, I just got a message this week from some guy saying, being feeling really down on my luck, feeling really bad about life, feeling like, I don't know, I don't know what there's left to do. Seeing you guys do what you do, that gives me, that gives me spirit to keep moving and keep fighting. It's like, wow, you know, there's someone out there. And like we were talking about last week, you know, you go around on the holidays, you meet some people that, that, that see the IRR and see what it's doing and um, are affected by that and encouraged by that. Uh, so there clearly is something going on in this work, but boy, it does not feel exactly the same. And so there's this difficult thing. How do you? So how can you conceive of thought price inflation if if the if the ultimate source of inflation, generally speaking, is that you're you're creating more denominations of value exchange, but you're not creating more value? How do how does that figure in to to thinking about thinking? And I'm not sure that I got the answer perfectly figured out, but I do feel like that this is a serious problem, and so it's worth well, trying. Well, money to inflation, people want a Nobel Prize, so don't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I don't know how to put the long answer, but the short answer is that somehow I I feel like I feel like there is. A, a perverse incentive to bullshitting and and no one is allowed to uh qualify this podcast as rude or lascivious or whatever because i'm using that word because some excellent philosophers uh including harry frankfurt at princeton university whose book on bullshit is truly exemplary use the word bullshit in an academic context with an academic meaning and the meaning is precisely to utter sentences that are not committed to the truth, not in the ways of lies, which are trying to hide the truth, nor in the sense of factual statements, which are trying to describe the truth, but rather as bullshit, which frankly doesn't really care what the truth is. Now, it would seem crazy for anyone to go about doing that unless it is explicitly in a moment of sort of poetic rhapsody where the idea is just to rhyme orange with four inch bar ridge whatever eminem can do <laughs> yes <laughs> and i don't know how to do that but i so i think what's surprising is that you get a tipping point where that actually becomes extremely uh attractive and reinforcing and the reason for that is that um it turns out to be kind of pointless to try and hold bullshit as responsible because you end up spending so much energy holding them responsible that you would have spent it better doing something how, else. How can you push so, back on someone who's not even concerned with the truth at all? It's not an And whose supporters aren't concerned with the truth, right? The supporters mm. are going right. after them because they like how it sounds. Right. Okay. So, 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 
part of the bullshit in part of the thought inflation thought is that you can get to a certain period you can get to a certain distribution where there are enough bullshitters around with enough supporters that that becomes like a self-sustaining negative feedback loop the more bullshitters there are the more power they get given without being held responsible and so they get away with more and more and they get more and more power along the way while other people are being held responsible and okay so that's a nightmare the question remains how do we get from like normal to that place in the first place what is the initial inflation trigger it still leaves the question of like what is the thought inflation equivalent of printing too much money right and i and i'm not a hundred percent sure and i think this is kind of this might be a terrible thing to say but but i do i do get the sense that maybe maybe oh maybe the thought in maybe the problem is too much thinking out loud <laughs> i like it <laughs> but explain because <laughs> this is this is a terrible thing for me to say because this is what i do a lot of the time like literally right now <laughs> literally right now it's, like it, it definitely can't all always be bad but i wonder i wonder i wonder i think that i think the qualification is this creativity must somehow depend upon risk taking thinking out loud particularly when it comes to to that kind of creativity so there must always be a good room for that and in a sense the more room for that there is the better but the qualification is this when one is when one is truly experimenting part of the bargain is that if this experiment doesn't work out you're not gonna sort of hate me too much and if it works out you're not gonna like me too much because we've right. both gone into the experiment appreciating that's that an experiment we don't know <laughs> this is right. not us this is something distinct from us this the identity gap is 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 serious this is its own thing we've set up the conditions we, we're trying to figure out what comes but um it's it's not us so i i think that's that's like the that's the nice place to be in when when you when you're kind of trialing an idea with someone the nasty place to be in is where you get stuck committed to that idea and you've got to defend that idea. Yeah. And you dig the trench deeper and, and deeper and deeper. Uh, and you, often and if you, when couples are fighting and everyone's very emotional, see that happen. Someone says something, they realize halfway through that they're wrong, but you've got to uh, triple down because otherwise you're going to. Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't triple down. It's not logical. It makes everything worse. But people yeah. have to because that's just where you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man, what a nightmare, hey? And then the other side, and this is the this is the same sort of bullshit feedback thesis. Like when the one side is tripling down, what's the other side gonna do? Triple down as well, because they know they're right, or at least they so, really think they are. So you're feeding back your own side and it and the and the the best fit with a bullshitter is another bullshitter. Like you get to a point where there's enough bullshitters that there's hardly any room left for anyone else. Gabriel, are you describing uh, the modern news environment? Because it awfully seems a lot like you are. I just I think know. to I think to, I to, am. To the kind of stuff. I mean, American twenty-four hour cable news is incredible when it comes to this kind of thing. You see a piece on Fox and you see a piece on CNN, 
and people are just playing this role. It's like, you know what everyone's going to say before they say it. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, everyone's sort of like an actor in a play. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no original facts forthcoming, uh, and yes. there's hardly anything good by way of syllogism. There really, there's just like four different scripts um, that are being read out with more or less passion by four different actors, or three or two, right. whatever, whatever it is in the debate. So I think, I think that that is the kind of caricature that it's becoming. But this is not what I'm intending to describe. What I'm intending to describe is my own experience. And let me just sort of put a bow on this. The hardcore reason that I believe I feel the pinch of thought inflation so much is that I feel like I'm getting older, is that I feel like my neurons are not firing so fast, and that it literally, for that physical reason, costs me more energy to think the same thought that it cost me sort of when I was 26. And insofar as that experience of aging, of early aging, like I'm still a young man, I'm very happy with life, whatever. Girl, but that experience that of early aging, insofar as that resonates, make humility. I mean, that's I kind of a little bit what it sounds like. I don't know that it is the same. I right. So it is. It is uh, partly. It's partly appreciating the epistemic humility, but it's partly appreciating that one needs to have more epistemic humility. Than one used to need to have because one's abilities <laughs> have reduced. And my sense is, insofar as this resonates, is is it is it a ridiculous claim to, to make? Because this is ultimately what amounts to that somehow society is becoming a little bit more dwarf. It's becoming a little, it's becoming a little <laughs> bit harder to think out loud in public. I hope well, not. Feels, like I actually feel no, quite that, optimistic that, that in feels a lot of very ways. true. But it, <laughs> you, you, I, 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 there is something about, sort of, I don't know, you, you know, my friends and I, we're all, for the most part, we're kind of sort of vaguely politically aligned. There are differences. And yet, it's so tiring to talk about politics, I find, that I really don't like doing it. Mm. You know? But I see your point. <laughs> so, so, but expand on that. Is 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 it tiring? Is it? I'm assuming that it's not tiring because you feel like you're learning too much, and it's displacing your beliefs as you went into it. I, I say that because I know you, and I know, for example, when we had a chat our last two crickets episode we were disagreeing with each other about russia i think we still sort of disagree and you were saying things i didn't know i was saying things you didn't know both of us made mistakes and, th and got things right but i don't think that was very tiring although it was like a disagreement Are no, you uh, i don't know it's kind of difficult to explain but it's sort of this feeling that uh no one is really willing to kind of see nuance. Mm. Even when you agree with someone, I often find, I find that it's very difficult to have conversations about politics because even when someone is pretty much on the same page as me, they don't really want to see the kind of, yeah, buts in, in the conversation. Because everything I find is far too complicated 
to actually talk about unless you're going really in depth like we did and you know we get paid to do that so i make an exception yeah <laughs> yes no, exactly it is a nice line. so and but so that's the that's the thing right is you get a certain appetite for 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 how many corners you want to look around how many little easter eggs you want to open up and see what's inside and and you get the sense that like you're hanging out with people that are there with you and then you get the sense that okay there've always been some who are and some who aren't but those who were sort of on the border are flicking a little bit from are to aren't yes now part of what's interesting about this for me is that i have i think it was in 2020 maybe it was in 2021 no, it is in the winter of 2021. I remember being quite optimistic and the winter of 2020 saying, look, I think that there are things that are happening that put South Africa on a good path. You know, the COVID is a new trauma. It's finding something to unite the nation around a negative thing after apartheid. Like we, people might learn a lesson and get over the thought <laughs> that our races divide us. And in some ways we've had really big wins. And so I can see some vindication of that belief. And I'm feeling it even more now. Like I really do think people are, are they, they, I just feel like the momentum's on our side. I do feel like that. We got the election. We defeated the 18th constitutional amendment. The Zona commission says that BEE is a terrible systemic cause of state capture. The civilian uh, disarmament bills uh, that's been withdrawn. Struck down. Kaya FM has like a range of, uh, radio hosts, white, black, Indian, and colored that are like just talking a completely different politics to what they were talking about two years ago. Metro FM is telling jokes about sort of excellence and and like clumsiness to rather than about this racial right. stereotype and that racial stereotype. The ANC looks like it's nowhere. It's just like it looks like it's, it's striving no to to pressure on uh, on the uh, command council. Or at yes, least we delivered our. We delivered 16,000 petitions last week. We've got 20,000 petitions now. And on on Wednesday or whatever it was, Ramaphosa said, you know, okay, civil society's got uh, it's got some beef with us and we see the point. They've got a good argument to end this, the command council, the state of us. Let's have a talk about it. They're just, they're, they're, there are a lot of things that are coming right. Those are the headline things. In terms of the smaller victories, uh, there, there, there's lots more details to pack up. Okay, but here's, my, here's the paradox, Nick. I right. feel like the wind's at our back, but that there's also thought inflation. In other words, I'm not feeling like it's very well thought through. Even And let me give you an example since you brought up Ramaphosa. So when Ramaphosa says um, civil society led by the IRR, although he didn't mention us by name, but he knows who we are. <laughs> we were the first people he quoted when he went to go speak to the, the Jewish um a constituency uh, uh what was that what's the name of it like it's the south african jewish council sagl whatever it is yeah it's like the irr is so great just after he was made president irr is the best and they publish reasons for hope and there's lots of reasons for hope i love that i love that um so he says there's a good argument to instead of he says there's a good argument to examine what alternatives we have to rule <laughs> by the coronavirus? Come on, How can you be examining whether there's an alternative 
now. <laughs> That's the thought I'm having, right? Like, and I just know because I've shown people what his statement was. I've shared it with friends, dear friends. They're like, oh, well done, dude. Rabbit Poser totally gets it. He's totally on your side. I'm like, no, listen. He said under pressure that finally we should start thinking about what alternatives we have to rule by diktat to this dictatorship. What is going on? How many how many calories of energy does it take to think that based on the fact that A, <laughs> we have been ruled by a dictatorship for 22 months and B, the president has said now we should start examining if there are and what there are alternatives. Then he says, you know, and it's very important to note that people have a right to protest and civil society has a right to, you know, petition and whatever. Like, okay. And then he says, you might <laughs> even be the lucky ones. You might be the lucky ones. You might get what you want. We might end the state of disaster. But maybe <laughs> we won't and we'll give you a good reason why. And then he says, and I quote, everything happens at the right time. Now, like I've watched the birthday. <laughs> no one laughed, Nicholas. No one laughed when the president of South Africa said everything happens at the right time. After we lost 2 million jobs, after we had the worst infection rate in the world, spawning both beta and Omicron variants, after we had one of the worst death rates per capita age adjusted in the world, we have lost more lives and livelihoods basically than anyone. We've lost more constitutional democratic norms basically than anyone. It is amazing how chilled we are. And you know what? Thank goodness we're chilled. I don't want people to throw rocks. I don't want people to set fire to anything. I want us to say, I want us to, our brains to stay switched on. We're very chilled. D but despite all of that, despite all of the deaths, Ramaphosa says everything happens at the right time. Full stop. Be patient. Full stop. And this is accepted. Now, if that's not a consequence of thought price inflation, if that's not a consequence of the fact that we've just gotten to a position where it takes too much, the, the gas tank, yo, it's 20 rand a liter, you know, how, how you, it's, mm, it's far away to get from what you're thinking now to all the way there to the conclusion of that thought, which is that the president is, is smugly looking down on us on top of a command council and saying that we should just wait for our democracy to be given back. It's, it's, it's frustrating to me and it's worrying to me that right now we're winning and that we're not going to keep winning because, because we're like not swimming through water. We're swimming through molasses, through honey, through like, through something too sticky to swim through. And I want to win. Okay. So that's my worry with thought price inflation. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> it does. It, it, I do. It does feel like South Africa has been kind of sort of sleepwalking forward for a long time. Uh, so uh, maybe we're waking up a little bit from it here, but there's still a lot of vestiges of that sort of zombie-like attitude, uh, which I think you're describing there. That would be mm. rather nice to to be rid of. Uh, <laughs> because, as you say, you know, things sort of go crazy. I mean, you think how fast things happen in South African politics, and they sort of just fade into the background. Oh, we had a complete breakdown of law and order in one of our provinces last year. 
Yeah. Was it really an election issue? Yeah, maybe in KZN. I don't know how much it was in the rest of the country. I think it did shift the needle a bit. But, you know, yeah, yeah. that's how it goes. Yeah, that was the, that was the, really was the dry powder keg, right? And those, is that an instance of, I, I, is that a consequence of, of, of thought price inflation? Like people who are burning down, I don't know. I must say, if you if you live in a country where you have repeatedly seen, what are the things that have been burnt down? Libraries, <laughs> train stations, shopping centers, shopping centers, uh, pharmacies, just clicks. Like after all that's been burnt down, and fire fire stations, my personal favorite thing to burn down. Once all of yeah, that is burnt down, pretty good. How much, how, dude, that you already, you have already had hyper thought inflation. Like it's already gotten to the stage where clearly thinking is unaffordable. You should rather take whatever intellectual energy you have and like a Zimbabwean dollar, use it to wipe your bum or, or <laughs> stitch it together to make a curtain. Don't go and try and trade that in for reason, for a, for you, a logical actually... step forward. You, you've actually reminded me of a, a a post I saw from back. It was it was made on an internet forum a while ago, back when uh, Venezuela was like first hitting its 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 inflation stride, like properly. And someone calculated the amount that someone spends in the U.S. on toilet paper on average per year, and then how much the equivalent in Venezuelan boulevards would would cost. And he concluded that it was much much cheaper to buy a lot of Venezuelan boulevards. And use them as toilet paper. <laughs> dude, that is, dude, my, what I'm trying to say is like, in a way, my biggest worry, when I, before I joined the Institute of Race Relations, like my biggest macroeconomic worry has been since about 2013, when I read David Graeber's History of Debt, 5,000 Years, an anarchist, beloved of the left and of some on the right, but like really weird. Since I read that and it made, and was hanging out in 2013 with Bitcoin traders, 2014, I, I worried about a kind of big inflationary moment or deflationary moment happening in America, the deflation coming off the back of com consumer price inflation causing an asset price deflation. Like I have worried so much about the dollar being used as toilet paper. Not quite as toilet paper, but something like that. Right. But what comes before that? Like the thing about those hyperinflationary moments that have happened in Weimar, that happened in Spain, uh, that happened uh, through history, is that it was defensible. Like you could understand how people just didn't have enough evidence to quite figure it out. Now, it's not entirely defensible because even in Spain, there was enough dudes who appreciated that if what's going on is twofold, firstly, you've got a currency based in a, in a hard metal whose quantity supply is increasing dramatically, then that's going to have a serious supply effect, which is going to mean more bucks chasing the same amount of goods. It's going to be no bueno. Secondarily, and that was partly ameliorated deliberately by taking silver through the Mediterranean past Spain and selling it to China, which was the largest demand market for, um, for silver coming out of the South American mountain colonies of, of Spain. Okay, but the other side of it, which is also important and probably more important in some ways, was the debt that was being incurred. Because when right. governments incur debt, what they do is they have an option to either immediately repay it or repay it so soon that people expect them to repay it or to not repay it and have the expectation be, 
they're never really going to repay it. Like no one expects America to repay its debt, which is a which is a whole GDP. <coughs> right. Uh, so that is a whole GDP of money that's been added, invented to the system, and then leveraged uh, on top of the sort of money that you would otherwise already have. Okay. This is what Spain did, and in particular, it did it with the decolonial wars, both against the Muslims, but more especially when they were on the other side of decolonization against the Dutch, who were trying to decolonize themselves from the Spanish. And that's just about the last thing that the Spanish Golden Age ever, you know, managed to do was lose to the Dutch <laughs> Empire by by right. wasting all well, their money and, and not yeah, admitting and, and, and it wasn't just the Dutch; they decided to pick a fight with pretty much everyone. In Europe, at some point. Yeah, yeah, no, they were they were like Napoleon, but slower and stupider. It was very silly. Anyway, <laughs> because because they thought they had infinite money, and it turns out when you think you have infinite money, you do, and that's your you problem. Really don't. That's <laughs> really your problem. It's like yeah, yeah, you can have all the money. You can invent all the money you want. It's just you're going to realize what what little money does. Okay, my point is that back then, despite that harsh criticism, you can see how it did come by. A bit of surprise they didn't have the kind of history of national accounts that we have today they didn't have institutional economic institutions battling with each right. other bologna had been the first proper university only for a couple of hundred years and it had barely begun to battle with oxford and cambridge to try and sort of get some kind of competition in the market of ideas to get uh, right. I mean, a, a proper they, rigorous analysis going they were ignorant you know, and it wasn't their fault we're, we're, we're only shortly removed from the period where the the first appearance of inflation in europe caused people to get outraged because they didn't even understand that such a thing was possible. They were burning witches, you know? <laughs> I think this is a different time. <laughs> well, just just to just to just to be fair there, wasn't there wasn't that much witch burning in the Middle Ages. That was much Correct. more uh, a later thing. In fact, in fact uh, the witch burning does coincide quite nicely with the uh with the Spanish going crazy with their spending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 no, this is it's, it's, when people, and this is the point I'm trying to get, is that I think, I think in a way, monetary inflation is itself the cause of many other terrible disturbances. In some ways, the cause of World War II, insofar as it's an in-between step cause from World War I, um, with with Weimar and the Great Depression and so on. But definitely a cause of like a lot of, terrible race relations in america the sort of invention of of like socialism for black people and capitalism for white people is right. in a lot of ways an upshot of fdr's answer to the great depression which itself was caused by uh a monetary policy um in this case not an inflationary one a highly you know ramping up interest rates when you shouldn't do it but nevertheless, a monetary policy. Wrong understanding of how to deal with the money supply. Okay, so money supply issues extremely important because just every, just about every, you know every commercial transaction that you make, and that makes up a lot of your time and energy and effort. This is facilitated by currency, and those currencies are controlled to some extent by people. And when those people are getting it wrong, it causes a lot to go wrong. But those people are connected to society, and when they get it wrong. At this stage of the game, it's not because we don't have enough evidence about what to do. It's because thinking has become too difficult to do for them to know not to press a button that's going to blow up the world, <laughs> more or less. So thought price inflation causes asset price and consumer price inflation. <laughs> it's the fact that it's become so hard to think that has driven us to the point 
where we're in. <laughs> and it's very worrying because once you've got thought price inflation, like what is the solution? Yeah, I don't know. It kind of feels like, uh, so there's this American writer, Kevin Williamson. Uh, he wrote this book a couple of years ago. He said, the end is near and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and it yeah. was basically about how uh, all the silliness of uh, of the kind of monetary regime that the US had been under for you know 20 years or whatever at that point, was going to eventually come to a crisis point, and when the crisis happened, it would force a sort of maturity in politics, because there simply wouldn't be any money. It's a nice idea. Uh, I'm not sure if we've seen too much to suggest that that's actually going to be the case, but perhaps the same thing could happen with thought inflation. There comes a point when it's a little like in the Soviet Union, right? It came a point where everyone was making jokes like we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. That's that's when the, the bubble <laughs> right. <laughs> that's when the sort of bubble has popped because the, the layers of bullshit. Wait, are did so you say high. Soviet Union or ANC? Is that an ANC joke with all the people who don't get you know, there's a lot of a lot of connections between those two things. Um <laughs> but anyway. So I think there so does come a point. Where, where the layer that the inflation is so high, the layer of bullshit is so incredible that no one takes anything seriously and it sort of allows credibility to creep back in because once you see credibility again, it's such a shock that it just takes over. <laughs> okay, but so, okay, so I like that idea. So you get thought price inflation, which causes uh, all kinds of consumer price inflation and asset misallocation. And eventually that creates an untenable situation which requires which which imposes pain. Yeah. And as it turns out, in conditions of pain, thinking is somehow cheaper. It's somehow like you've already now you're already paying so much. Like, why don't you think? You don't think because it's gonna hurt. When you start confronting hard truths, it's gonna hurt your brain just a little bit and it's not gonna be comfortable. Your previous notions are gonna be dispelled. And you're going to have to let go of some ego and all kinds of things. So it's just cheaper not to think. But eventually you're hurting so much that you've already... <laughs> right. Human beings are wired to survive. And Your at chips the end are of the on day, the table. Now you yeah, think. Uh, uh, most, uh, while, while it's not you know, completely the solution to everything, when people are in a tough situation, they often... Um, they're, 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 they either fall apart or their best selves come out. And I think that in the end, that does solve a lot of problems. But, you know. As Ernest nice Hemingway said, um, people, everyone breaks. The strong get stronger where they were broken. Right. But the others just break. I mean, that's not great. I wish we could avoid No, that. it's not. That's why you want to avoid a situation where your uh, inflation, whether it be thought inflation or monetary, is out of control in the first place. But the point I'm trying to make is that in the end, it done puzzles itself out. <laughs> it don't puzzle itself right out. There, there is The force will restore itself slowly but surely or, or, or more quickly with a little assist. I think something like that is probably right.
I do think that I do. Oh, I do. I do. I do find this a, a, a strange time to have this conversation because it's quite gloomy. And yet I really do think that this is, I think this is a good time to have this conversation precisely because I think this is a really good time. The weather is very nice. <laughs> the wind is at our sails. The scariest thing in the world right now is a potential war between Ukraine and Russia slash NATO and um, evil herself, you know, as, as many would characterize Russia. And, and, and my opinion, we've discussed this, but you know, I think that's a great evil problem to have in the sense that like by now, like Putin doesn't invade places once CNN has already had, uh, you know, scholars from Brown University uh, discuss the prospect. He, he tends to do it. He's already done it a couple of times. He tends to do it quickly uh, before they've managed to, the Brits have managed to send their anti-tank uh, missiles, uh, as you said last week. So yeah, like if although, this is the worst although, problem, although maybe, it's not the worst problem. We're in a relatively yeah. good time. In global although, although, although maybe <laughs> when the president says when the president of the US is a complete moron and says no, really silly things, he thinks to himself, mm, you know, I normally wouldn't do this, but this guy is such a tonsil <laughs> that maybe I should. <laughs> Dude, so you know, I would, John, I would like. I, I, sorry. I would like to also take this point to to point out that uh, I'm pretty sure that. Uh, our Afghanistan episode about the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban uh, ended with this thought that uh, the, re the result of this would be sort of unforeseen but dramatic and that there would be an, an increasing amount of instability around the world as uh, American prestige and power seem to retreat. Right. Huh. Kind of seems like we might have been right about that one. <laughs> no, it's taking a knock. It's taking a knock. But, dude, I got, I'm going to bring back John Mearsheimer, and I can't believe, mm. dude, if I look back to myself at – me at like 24 would be so humiliated by me to, at 32 still fucking sorry beg your pardon <laughs> <clears throat> but that is that is a sign of the kind of anger i have in myself like i i always did not like uh john uh Mearsheimer, professor john Mearsheimer, political scientist realist at university of chicago because i thought he was too uh, he was just too obviously a dinosaur as he often describes himself <laughs> um, but there must be a better version of what he's saying by the time this becomes pertinent again. It's not. Dude, this guy, he's the guy who, who's been saying for years and years that the Ukraine is NATO's fault and the EU's fault. It's not Russia's fault. And they should uh, stop fighting against Russia and team up with Russia to fight against China um, and Iran and so on. Uh, and that however bad this looks to however many silly bullies, this is really the the, the, the kind of em emphasis. I'm not sure it's right. I kind of made some of the case for this in my own way, which is quite different to his way last week. But just to say, in terms of what you were saying, Mearsheimer is, one of the things that's amazing about him is he is, I think, the, no, in my case, definitely the only person who speaks about the deep state affectionately. <laughs> No, I like that. <laughs> he's amazing. He's like the deep state is never going to let Biden in. Like, it's going to be fine. Putin is afraid of the deep state and the deep state understands Putin. And, uh, and, and this is very important. And they've decided how things are going to go. And he's not entirely well, pleased with how they've decided things are going to go. 
but they are a very decisive force, dude. You mustn't forget about. Uh, you, 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 you know what? You know what? My my problem with that is that there's a sort of assumption there that the U.S. state is 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 at least more competent than it's incompetent, and I'm not sure if that's an incredibly strong bet to make. No, it's pretty weak right now. But he also understood <laughs> that the deep state had some. The the, the the deep state. Part of the sad irony is that the deep state is was partly decisive in the extraction from Afghanistan. They'd made their mind up uh, about what to do. There was a kind of odd bipartisan kludge thing happening there. And then the execution was completely useless. So I, I don't say that the execution won't be completely useless. My opinion in this case is that the, the correct execution is to open up Nord Stream to allow Russia to pump gas into Europe and uh, and that and and do so on the condition that uh, 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 some some hard troop condition and some diplomatic conditions vis-a-vis -vis the territorial integrity of of the Ukraine. Uh, unfortunately, at a bargaining level, if you're going to go and say we need Moscow to ratify the territorial integrity of the Ukraine post the Crimean referendum. It would be a concession that Crimea is definitely part of Russia. And my understanding is some EU states haven't quite recognized that yet. Not a terribly big thing. Uh, you should admit that the Ukraine is definitely now part of Russia. Uh, sorry, that Crimea is definitely part of Russia. Freudian slip. Uh, the Ukraine must stay its own thing. But there should be some kind of guarantee. It's going to be hard to, to push through that kind of guarantee without saying, without the Russians trying to say, you must guarantee that Ukraine won't join NATO. You can't do that, but you can fudge it. You can precisely fudge it because they're not part of NATO and because NATO's income policies is kind of weird. So you can say, give some language that gives the Russians an excuse to say, we we continue to, we've gotten what we wanted. And for the, the rest to say, you know, look, the door is still technically open. Anyway, that my po I, I I don't think that this circumstance is worse than when we were around this time last year, I think, when Israel... Uh, was being sort of missile attacked and shelled and was responding in turn against Palestine. And there was quite serious mil military action. I don't think it's as bad as the uh, sort of uh, our wintertime uh, period with, 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 with George Floyd and uh, the the kind of, you know, we were so heavily locked down, but there was like a political turmoil around that. Certainly three months before that, March, April 2020, we had people being killed by the police here at a ridiculous rate. We had, we, we had uh, severe, you know, viral concerns. The viral concern has practically dissolved into endemic, you know, ordinariness. Right. Lockdown concerns r remain serious at the level of uh, what's on paper, and that's very important in terms of what goes forward. But in terms of actual regulations, we've chased the dragon back into her lair. Uh, the, the 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 you know the the worst elements of the of the woke movement in America have kind of been pushed back. The worst elements of Trumpism have been cornered for now. This I feel like this is a moment of 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 fresh air. I feel, I feel like right now, if mm -hmm. the worst thing is this worry about the Ukraine, it's not really that bad compared to some of those other things. And, um, 
Yeah, well, and I think I, that I means agree. it's a good time to take stock. And I, and I agree with that. that as as long as it doesn't uh, as long as it doesn't get out of hand, it could always get much worse. And I do think that um, this is probably, in some sense, only the beginning of what we're seeing uh, when it comes to global instability. Right. But, no. Yeah, but, no. But, I, but, I, but Nicholas, I agree with you wrong, that this the next this bits, very the next bad ones are going to be in the far east. Probably, far, yeah. Far east Asia and far west Asia, southwest Asia, so, further south than the Donbass, further. You know, close right. to what we call the uh, Israel and Iran going at each other, China yeah. going at Taiwan, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, no, that's I, I do agree with you. When the expropriation bill comes through in South Africa, that's when we're going to be sitting. That's right. when we're going to be scratching our chins and thinking, you know. Right, we are, we are in a kind of the eye of, 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 a, of a hurricane for now, I think, and I, I agree with you. And it's wonderful, and we should enjoy it. But we've got to. But my sense of what's going on in the eye of that hurricane is, it's like the holiday. I've got a fresh breath of fresh air, and I'm like, <laughs> "Wow, dude!" When I was 21, when I was 22, it was it was much easier to think from A to B than it is now that I'm 32, because there are because because the world has has metastasized rather than grown. <laughs> It's uh yeah. Look, maybe that's just me. I could be a complete. This could be total narcissism, right? You know. Well, like, well no, no, no. I think I think there's I think there's something there, but I do also think that at least a little bit of this could be one uh one's your journey to wisdom as you become an old man. <laughs> the epistemic community point, like I gotta learn. Like it's never. It's always actually been this bad. I'm just catching. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I thought I was thinking. I was just bullshitting. Now I'm thinking. I'm realizing. <laughs> holy moly, this ain't easy. <laughs> well, that would be preferable, I guess. I don't know, man. Dude. I don't know. All right. So we've had a very sort of, I don't know, philosophical, thoughtful meta conversation here i feel because um, we've been we've been talking about thinking about thinking if you think about it <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is a friday afternoon let's uh let's let's see if we can end it in an hour and no more bringing up contentious issues when we hit the hour mark because <laughs> that's what got us into trouble last time <laughs> we Do were doing have, very well last time yeah yeah do you have a recommendation um i've got can i give a micro recommendation and then a macro after you yeah yeah yeah. yeah. my micro is i just bought musicophilia by oliver okay. Sacks. uh oliver Sacks was uh passed away a couple of years ago he was one of my first loves as it were in the non-fiction world um is he a psychiatrist or psychologist i'm not quite sure um which is silly uh i guess a psychologist because he's because he spent a lot of time speaking to his patients but he also had a very good understanding of neurologically what was going on in their in their uh, you know new uh, both from a uh, brain chemistry point of view and an electrical uh relay sort of ct scan point of view and he he loved to use pathologies as a way to bring out how people work when they're working, like to make normalcy seem beautiful to, or to bring out the beauty in, in normal performance. Uh, so the guy who 
mistook his wife, the man who mistook his wife for a hat, you know, is a hilarious title of, of an actual case. But that includes studies of people who either can't remember more than a few seconds or like a guy with Tourette's who can fly airplanes and is a surgeon, but he's got like a heavy tick. Like when he's not cutting into your chest cavity, if you give him a glass of whiskey, dude, he might just throw that crystal tumbler against the wall. <laughs> And swear, holy mother Mary. So, so clearly, so clearly, he's 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 in. He, he now knows that he's fine to do surgery. But I'd be a little bit scared being the first patient the before. First guy, they, yeah, yeah. Before they had discovered whether his tick also affected his scalpel skills. I don't think he told anyone in the beginning, which is part of. Part <laughs> of the thing. Anyway, so. The point with music affilia, it's it's about it's about the magic of music. It's a little bit I don't know. I I kind of picked it up because I've been worrying about thought inflation for the last couple of weeks, and I and I and I sort of hope that music will will have some answers um, because there's something weird about music, and this is I, and I think Sachs really gets it. It's like it is thinking. It's such a human thing, um, and yet it's not. It's not logical. I don't know. There's something. There's something about it that's also not quite the same as as doing maths or or, or political analysis or uh, or problem solving. It's not quite problem solving. Um, somehow it is. It's just solving. I don't know. I don't. It's a solve. I don't know. Uh, but I've I've read a couple of chapters and and I I just got it on. Anyway, recently it's really good. So my recommendations are two that are kind of closely related to each other. They're both about uh, paleontology and the uh, the history of life on Earth. One is the 1999, I think it is, series uh, produced by the BBC, Walking with Dinosaurs, which I grew up with, mm. which is was a completely groundbreaking documentary when it came to paleontology. It was just... It said, you know, what? How, can we use CGI to recreate uh, the experience of what it would be like to see dinosaurs in the wild? And that, it, it's it's just great. A little bit of it is outdated now. A little bit of it is wrong. Um, science has actually come quite a long long way, even in this field, uh, in in twenty years. But it's still really interesting just to watch. It's a really great series. It's really well made. So despite the fact the CGI is quite old, I recommend that. So that's Walking with Dinosaurs by the BBC. And then uh, related to that is a YouTube channel called Ben G, the letter, uh, Thomas. And he's a British guy who just talks about the latest discoveries in paleontology. Uh, so, for example, his most recent video was called Nodosaurus, which I've never heard of, but I think it's like a relative of Anglosaurus, which is the dinosaur with the big um, club on the end uh, of its tail, uh, said that there's been a recent discovery that this dinosaur was hard of hearing, <laughs> which <laughs> the fact that people can work that out from finding a bit of a bit of rock in the shape of a bone in the ground is incredible <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, their uh, thinking other... is still working. Clearly, we're right. still thinking. Like, if you can he, think he, of that he's out. Also, he's also got a video titled The Worm That Terrorized the Prehistoric Oceans, which is 
It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, starting to sound Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Okay. Um, very good. My, my final recommendation, my major recommendation is I think a re-recommendation from something that Nicholas said. Uh, Monty Mayer. M-O-N-T-E-M-A-Y-O-R. Monty Mayer. Like Monte Casino, Monty Mayer. Um, he makes YouTube videos that are narrated sort of 40 minutes to an hour or so long, uh, particularly about um, naval battles in World War II between Japan and the U.S. There are some other mm. ones. Uh, but he's got a three-part one, so it's three 40-minute parts on the Battle of Midway. And he tells it from the Japanese perspective. And the Battle of Midway is where Japan goes from kind of having all the momentum on its side to losing uh, more than half of its aircraft carriers, uh, three of the four that are on the sea. And they've only got two in backup. And and they'd never build another aircraft carrier. They never recover from that. From that is the moment. That is the watershed. That's when they start going backwards. And, and it, it's only six it, months after they start their war against the whole world. Yeah, six six <laughs> which, months after Pearl Harbor. Yeah, against which, the amazing reflection to beat right. the world. Definitely some thought and, inflation there, dude. It was getting too. Oh, <laughs> it was getting hard to think all yeah. the way through to the end. Now there is a there is if, if you're looking for a case study of where thought inflation ruined a country, it's Japan. Uh, during World War Two, um, you know, if 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 your st great strategic thinkers come to the conclusion that the way to get themselves out of a horrific quagmire that's dra draining all their resources is to declare war on every major power on earth, um, yeah. they're not they're, just, they're not thinking straight. They're not <laughs> thinking, dude. They just they're just em they're just emoting in each other's general direction. It's like, guys, this war in China's really hard and we're just not winning it and it's like kind of you know it's in a stalemate and tiring, so what we need to do is declare is, war on the netherlands the british empire and america on the same day <laughs> then it's going to be fine because the yeah. thing is if 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 you can't quite beat china you should <laughs> you should definitely be able to beat the netherlands the uk and and the United States of we have more GDP than the next eight countries combined. <laughs> <laughs> they really uh, were not thinking, yo, putting two and two together was <laughs> someone said, put two and two together. And this guy said, what are you going to pay me? Because I'm not doing that for free. Seemed like a good idea at the time, I suppose. Exactly. <laughs> Because it wasn't even an idea. The, but the amazing thing about this is that, um, is that because it's told from the Japanese side, he's really trying to give you. Did it? It, it is extremely. It's extremely heartbreaking. It's very emotionally confusing, because they're very brave and good and decent Japanese people who are doing their damnedest, and they're quite unlucky in a way. Like America mm. definitely would have won overall, but they did not need to win that battle. There were quite a few strokes of fortune that went there where, and he just, he just, he humanizes a day, six hours in history that kind of, that kind of made more difference than most average years. 
and mm. and it's 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 it it made me very it's quite sad it's quite sad um because you i don't know it just gave me gave me a nice orwellian sense you know george orwell had this beautiful article that he wrote circa 44 no circa 41 whenever early in the war he says here i am in my apartment in london trying to write my weekly column somewhere flying overhead is a Teuton in an aeroplane doing his best to murder me. The right. thing is, if we met each other over, over like a, a roast uh, knuckle of pork, we'd probably have a great time. I'll mm. bet that guy's a good family man. I'll bet he's honest. I'll bet he pays his taxes. Right, it's, very it's, decent that's, and that's the real. That's the real tragedy here: is a whole bunch of human excellence going to waste in the service of something stupid and evil. That's what I hate about thought inflation is that if you mm. let enough of it happen, then good people have to hurt good people. Uh, mm. You know, good people become evil people in a way. It just, it just, it just ruins everything. Mm. Mm. Anyway, and and Monty Mayer really captures that in a beautiful way. So you can check out uh, Monty Mayer uh, Middle Way, the uh, Battle of Midway, told from the Japanese perspective. Cool. All right. Uh, and with that, let us call it to a close. So thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, keep the flag of liberty flying. <laughs>